listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Raffoff. So that was that. That's what that's what we had before. But this is now. This is new. It's 2015, and uh, we're bringing back the Bulldog Hour. I'll be one of your hosts, Joe Mays. Alongside of me will be my co-host, Justin Rapoff. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's obviously going to be a little different uh, this time around, but uh, you know, th- the idea remains the same uh, to kind of give people a look at um, Wilson Bulldog football and uh, kind of maybe some insight and some things that they, they can't get other places. Yeah, it's it's been a long journey to get this started. We've been working on it for uh, over a month now, just kind of getting everything in order, finding the equipment that we needed, uh, adding it to our arsenal, getting the web presence started. We did a lot of work behind the scenes. We conducted a lot of interviews, all of which we're going to see tonight. We've got a lot for this uh, reboot here, this episode one pilot episode of the new Bulldog Hour, and we're going to start it off um, just kind of updating what what we used to see when Coach Contafio and Coach Brubaker did the show on Wednesday evenings during the football season. Um, the new show is going to be very similar to that. The biggest difference, though, is that we're not specifically associated with the school district. We don't have the backing of the athletic department or the technology group. You know, we're not in the studio there where there's like 10 people working on the show. You got different cameras, you got people working phones, you got lighting and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a little bit uh, hard to top that, at least initially, until we get things organized here. But the way each show will go, it will be very similar. We'll be breaking down uh, each of the past games. We'll be looking at the next week's game. We'll talk about some of the plays and players of the game. We'll hopefully have some giveaways and information from the team. A multitude of interviews from coaches and players. We will try to do some question and answers. Uh, While the show isn't live, we will be taking things through email and social media. We'll also do current player bios. We'll look at past players, and we'll definitely focus on the seniors as the the season winds down. But there'll be multiple ways that you can get involved, uh, and Justin can let you know just a couple of the ways that you can do that. Yeah, like uh, like Joey mentioned, you know it's not necessarily going a live show right now. Uh, however, that doesn't limit your ability to interact with us and and the show and the show's audience. Um, 
mostly through social media. When we talk about um, Facebook, you know, uh, we've seen a huge increase, you know, just over the last month since uh, you kind of initiated the, the sites and things like that in Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow on Instagram. Um, you can also, and Joey will go over this in, in a little bit, but there will be ways for you to leave voicemails for us that we can then incorporate those into the shows so you can get your questions to us that way or any of the ways that we kind of mentioned before using social media. You can also email the show. Um, and, again, we'll get those details to you uh, throughout the show kind of to remind you that we'd love your interaction and, um, you know, your participation in the show. You know, we want to provide you with uh, the things that you want to know. So, um, you know, especially through this first show, if you see that some of the things maybe uh, give you an idea, let us know. We, we'd love to have your take on uh, how things are going and what you'd like to see from the show. Definitely. And, and one of the ways that Justin talked about was uh, a voicemail and that is being done through a SpeakPipe software, but probably the easiest way if you'd like to contact the show in some capacity is just go to bulldoghour.com and click on the contact link, and uh, you, you can find all the different ways that you can contact us on that page, be it email, voicemail, and we have links to all of our social media presence. It's all listed there for you, and uh, we, we really we want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to see. We want to take your questions. We want to pass along questions you may have for some of the coaches and players all that good stuff, uh, we want we want to do that. So if you have any of that uh, that that you want to see, just let us know, and uh, you know we'll be more than happy to answer any questions that you may have. Um, really, we want we want to interact with you. So you know, find us any way you can, and let us know what you want to see, what you want to hear, and then we'll do our best to get that to you. Um, but before we dive into talking about 2015, I think it's probably best just to look back at the year that was in 2014 and kind of uh, recap some of what we saw. And we're going to we're going to show you some highlights from that season in just a few moments. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure most of you are aware that Wilson was pretty good last year. You know, it's a pre pretty, pretty good year uh, all around. Yeah, you know? I, I would say, <laughs> you know, just, you know, 14 and one. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I don't know. Is that good? <laughs> did, did you enjoy that last season? Another another 50% more games than uh, you're, you're guaranteed right, yeah, in I know. high school football right, season. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? I know. We, we talk about that stat kind of often, and I'm sure it'll come up uh, throughout, the, the, um, you know, throughout the show, you know, at various points. But when, when we talk about uh, certain things, um, including the number of games that uh, Wilson football players get to play in, it's, it's really amazing. And, you know, I know the coaches and, and things emphasize to the players not to take any of those for granted. You know, right. you have to, you know, play every one, uh, you know, as hard as you can. But uh, when you look at it, you know, they played 15 games last year. A f high school football season for the majority of kids is 10 games, you know. Um, and if you count the scrimmages, they played 17 games right. and, you know, 12 versus 12. So they've played a lot. And, you know, the numbers for the, for the career, you know, because the – not that a run quite as deep as last year is is the norm. I don't want to downplay that at all. You know, it was a special year, um, but the Wilson football players uh, over the last you know decade or so have averaged probably almost thirteen games. You know, I I don't know that it's well, exactly that the number, but seniors, it's close. Um, from the the fall of twenty fourteen, the class of twenty fifteen, they played forty three games in three seasons. You know, if you were only a, a only a three-year player, you know, <laughs> like the normal people that play in, as 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. 
they played 43 games. They were 39-4 and four with two district titles, three league titles, two straight undefeated regular seasons. So uh, the 2015 team has a lot to live up to. But before we move on to them, I think it's best that we look back at the 2014 season. We'll do that through the official Wilson highlights.
we love to hear the music play during these highlights. I think we'll give a little bit of recap here of the 2014 season while you watch the highlights going on on the screen. You saw at the beginning, we saw the, the non-conference slate, the non-league slate with uh, Mifflin, CD East, and Central Dolphin. The first two were home. The third game against Central Dolphin was away. Those were some pretty great games last year. The expectations coming into the season were a little higher than they were the year before because there was a lot of people coming back. But I don't think they were high enough that many people thought Wilson would be three and zero after league play. No, I know you and I discussed what we what just what we thought you know uh, the outcome of those first three games would be, and there was a lot of unknowns. <clears throat> we had high hopes for the team, obviously, but uh, we were just a little unsure, you know. You look back, that Mifflin team is one of their best in recent history. Um, I know they made a great run about nine, ten years ago. You know, yeah, two thousand six. Right, yeah. So I'd say, but this was probably by far their best team since then. And I don't know, you know, I'm not the Mifflin historian to know which team would really stack up better there. However, um, Cameron got fooled on that township. One, yeah, by the way. Uh, I remember. That was incredible. I remember play. everyone in the stands was fooled on Jake that one Templin too. Has the ball? No one knew it. Absolutely no one knew it. I mean, you just see. <laughs> yeah, there and there he is. I remember. I was in the stands and I was jumping up and down, screaming, and most people had no idea. They were like complaining that you know, uh, Shane got stopped. Or, yeah. You know, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. Anyway, you were talking about but, Mifflin. Yeah, and, you know, so Mifflin was really solid. And then the Central Dolphin teams are always going to be really solid. You know, they're always going to have um, – That was ruled a not a catch by Poe Day, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it was one of those things where you just – you wonder how, how it would have um, – you know, we were a little unsure of just how things were going to play out. Uh, three really strong teams, probably the strongest three teams, you know – uh, as a whole that they're facing in a non-league in a long time. And, well, they proved that those were the best four teams, Wilson and those three, because the the District 3 finals were, were what? <laughs> those yeah. four teams, right? Right. That's where we were. Yeah, so, so the three opponents and Wilson were the top four, and the four were, they were the top four seeds, I believe, and it was chalk. The bracket was chalk, and you ended up with those four teams being the four remaining teams in the District 3 Quad A playoffs last year. So not only did they have high expectations before the season, but all those teams kind of met their expectations last year. Um, so as, as that kind of played itself out, I think it was impressive when they made it through 3-0 and to start last year. Right. And then how impressive that was grew as, as the year went on. And as you started to realize, man, these teams, you know, not just Wilson being very good, but the other three teams being very good, really just kind of added the value to those wins. Right, definitely. And, um, you know, CD East was supposed to be very strong, and they were. Um, they had a lot of playmakers, very good. I, I the, It was surprising when Wilson raced. I think it was a 31 nothing lead or 20, 28-24. They were up a, a lot um, near the end of that game. Um, CD East scored a couple towards the end. Then we got to meet them again in the playoffs and, and squeaked out a victory. Central Dolphin the first time around again very close 14 to 12 final score a uh, very good team very young team it reminded me of in 2011 when Wilson and Central Dolphin met in the district championship game both teams felt it was a year early like they right. thought that this was going to be what 2012 was going to be like and 
it, it worked out in Wilson's favor because the next year Wilson went on to, to win District 3, but they beat Harrisburg, who beat CD in the round before, I believe. I, I think a lot of people thought last year was kind of deja vu. 2014 was maybe a bit early for Wilson and Central Dauphin, but here they are. And now expectations are sky high for both squads in 2015, and, and we'll see uh, Central Dolphin in the, the home opener at Gursky on September 18th. Yeah, so like you had mentioned before, the first two games were home last year, and we were then away at Central Dolphin the following week, week three. This year it's the, you know, the flip of that, the, re- the reverse of that, and Wilson is away week one at Mifflin, away week two at CD East, and then home week three against Central Dolphin. So start out with two games on the road, you know, against, you know, generally, you know, tough opponents. So, uh, again, going to get tested early. But I'm I'm in favor of teams. I know it's really tough when you're quad A, uh, you know, because you, you really need quad A teams to play against. You, yeah, you don't want to play against other ratings. teams. But at the same time, there there's plenty of quad A opponents, and you don't, you know, it's not like when we were in school and the top four make it, you know. So right. it's good to challenge your team, you know. That's how you're going to grow. And Losing. I think Wilson definitely has that built into their schedule, like, um, you know, the ability to play tough opponents early. Losing an early game doesn't make as much of a difference anymore. And, right. And you're only going to weather, weather the storm and get better by playing the best of the best. And last year we saw that for certain. I think this year a lot of people are in agreement. Um about Mifflin, CD, Central Dolphin, all going to be very, very good quad A schools uh, right. this season as well. So uh, now let, we'll put 2014 behind us. It was it was an incredible year. Uh, that was a great group of seniors. I know a, a lot of those kids for a long time now. It was an, a great, great group. I said they went 39 and four, won two district titles, three league titles, first ever teams to go back to back undefeated regular seasons. A, a, a lot can be said about the 2014 squad. Uh, but we're going to move on to 2015 now, and I think we'll just kind of give you an idea. For those that don't know, maybe that have been away from the program or haven't ever been real close to the program and just go to the games, just kind of what an off season in the Wilson program is like. Once uh, the 2014 season wrapped and the kids came back from the, the holiday break uh, in December and early January, uh, generally the football players not involved in other athletics, um, be it you know a winner with basketball, indoor track, uh, swimming, or in the spring with lacrosse and um, what else do you have in the spring? Baseball. Baseball, yeah. Boys volleyball. All those things. Uh, I'm just trying to think yeah, of I'm all of them. trying to rack my brain for all right. the sports that are available in the winter and spring. If you're not participating in those, which you're encouraged to do so, uh, show right. off your athleticism, stay, stay, in fit, t- stay in shape, you're expected to stay fit by attending um, football workouts in the form of lifting, or plyometrics, and they may have changed things a bit now, but there's always something to do. You Two or three days a week, you're going to be honing your skills for the upcoming football season, which it's always right around the corner. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. If you're not doing another athletic event, you're thinking football. And that, that's just the way that the top programs operate. Right, and, and like you said, many of the athletes um, are involved in other sports, so it's not necessarily a complete year-round thing, but you, like you said, the expectation is – if you're not involved in another sport, that you're involved in making yourself better for the football team. Um, and and that's just kind of, it, you know, it's one of those things where the, the kids have, have a choice where, you know, it, if you want to be the best, that that's what that's what you have to do. You have to put that time and work in. And it, it can make for some long days in February and March, I'm sure, because yeah. that season still seems really far away and you're putting in the work. But that's when, that's when you have to do the work uh, to make up 
well, not to make up, but if you want to have the success in August through December, you need to have that work in January through May, you know? So, um, that's just part of the, like you said, that's part of what it takes to, to win at high levels now. Once the, um, fourth quarter is winding down and the, the spring sports have ended, the PWA has instituted a spring ball program where teams can get uh, some equipment out and start getting ready for the fall sports season before the, the the current school year has even ended. That's a week usually at the end of May, right before Memorial Day. Then once school is out and you've graduated the previous year's class, everyone comes together three days a week and does lifting, conditioning, skills, and fundamentals work um, in addition to seven on sevens and a team camp, that's what happens in June, July, and the very beginning of August. Uh, team camp, I believe, is usually in July. This year, they went to Lebanon Valley College, which right. was a change of pace for them. Yeah, I think uh, in the last few years, they've gone to University of uh, Pennsylvania yes. down in in Philadelphia, and um, you know, I just hearing them kind of talk about that, and you know, they had some connections there. I know uh, last year, um, you know, there was some. I don't want to say turmoil, but there's some differences there for how the camp is going to play out. I also know that there's been some changes with the Penn football program. And so because of yeah, that, the head coach um, left. you know, some things, some things have changed there. Um, you know, I think I, I don't you know know this, but I, from what I've seen, there were a lot of teams at Lebanon Valley uh, this year, which is good. That's what you want. You want a lot of teams at the camp you're going to, because it lets you get a lot of work in and lets you see a lot of different things. Um, and also I know some, some of the staff on the Wilson, uh, coaching staff alums. Um, are alums of uh, Lebanon Valley and have played football there. So that, that's kind of a cool connection for them. But yeah, I heard and, it was a good camp. Right. And it's a little closer and, you know, things like that. But um, yeah, I, I think they were, I think they were pleased with it. And from the things I've read from other schools and stuff like that, it seemed to be a popular camp this year. So that they, I think they used to go to Lebanon Valley a long time ago. Um, and I think they've returned there now. Team camp is usually the signal that the summer is starting to wind down. There are usually only, you know, a handful of, of weeks before sp training camp starts. So that's kind of the, this is where our team is at. You know, we, we think that we're going to be a good squad this year. We're going to see a couple different people at different positions, just try to work some things out. But you're starting to kind of organize in your head what we're going to look like as the year, as the year arrives. Because it's, like I said, it's just a few weeks away. But before actual training camp, you know, there's two weeks that you're allowed to put on the full pads and, and get at it. A couple years ago, the PIAA Institute, what is known as the heat acclimatization period, which is an additional week before the two weeks of two or three a day practices. It's shorts and shoulder pads, not full pads. It's non-contact. It's just a way to get the summer athletes, especially football, prepared for the intense heat that the area can see at points through the end of August when training camp is going on. It started in 2013, and I believe that year and last year it was only three mandated days, um, the, the week prior to the start of two-a-days or even the week of, but you're not going to – a lot of the programs choose you're not going to eliminate the full contact practices. You're going to do it the week before. This year – PIAA said you need to do it for a full week. So a full week of heat acclimatization uh, was done at um, Bulldog and Gursky Fields the week before camp started, and then it, it arrived. Training camp was here, two weeks of practice. They're up early, generally starting, you know, 6, 6.30 in the morning, depending on what else was going on. And usually in years past, and almost every year that I can remember, the first week 
is full three-day practices all week until you get to Friday. You have some pictures. You have a little pregame because Saturday is the first scrimmage. The next week you have full uh, two full days, then two days of in-service days leading up to the start of school the following week. And then you have Friday is your last scrimmage to tune up to get you ready to start the school week and the first game week. Well, this year is a little different. A lot of schools, because of how late Labor Day is, yeah. a lot of schools decided to start, hey, we're going to start a week sooner. But the PAAA didn't move when practices could start. So it really hindered the amount that summer practices could lead up to fall sports. They had some difficulties with the timing. At Wilson, they took advantage of that. The school's starting a week early. They're doing it, and they started, what, Wednesday, I believe, this week. Yeah. You already have a few days of school in right. leading yeah, up we, to. We, so we have three days in, and I know um, some schools started, started. they had a full week this yeah, past some week. Did. I so think Mifflin they, started right, on Monday. They, so they have one full week of, of you know everything, but probably in service those days. But then they have uh, their second week of, of camp is basically – um, their first week of school. So usually they're back-to-back weeks, not overlapping weeks. So, you know, that is a change. And, you know, I don't – I understand why they didn't change because they set the date. Then, you know, teams would probably want it to stay early, you know, even when school starting is late. And the school start date varies so much across the state. Like, if they move it, some people would have been – you know, they would have had camp and then maybe had two weeks. I know uh, Daniel Boone doesn't start till after Labor Day. Right. So – they would have had camp these two weeks, and then they would have another full week of nothing. You know, like they they would have had a third week. So it, it kind of varies, and it it can be, um, you know, it it's something that's tough if you if you're going to change it year for year. So I, I know that's not necessarily made. It didn't necessarily make for the most convenient schedule this year, but I think everybody's kind of in the same boat. Like it, it wasn't really convenient for every for anyone this year. So um, I think it'll kind of even out when when things are said and done. The biggest drawback for Wilson and talking to the coaches was that first week you had two full days, but then there was two days of in-service. The next week, the week that school started, you had two full days, but then school is here. So they didn't have – generally you have, I think, about six days of three-a-day practices, then a couple in-service days, the picture day, the pregame day. In the end, because of the schedule, the coaches said they lost – close to 20 hours of practice time. And while they were able to make it, make it work on the field, the biggest impact came in f- film study. They weren't right. able to get as much time in the classroom, learning from their mistakes, seeing it on the screen in front of them, and knowing what they have to do to correct. They got the field time for the most part, but they're a little bit behind on, on the, the learning aspect, of reviewing the game film and board work. Uh, that's what the coaches were able to relay to us. Right, and so therefore it's, it's going to be a little interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the first few weeks when they're trying to get – you know, hit the ground running and, and see what you actually have when you face these other teams. It's It can be a little interesting if you're a little unsure that you've kind of cleaned up some of those minor mistakes that you've made in the preseason that you normally would have had time to take care of that now you're going to have to address kind of on the on the fly. We're going to move on and talk a little bit about the two scrimmages here quickly. We have some highlights to show as well. But before we do, we do want to say that many people have talked to us about, hey, they're really excited about the show. They want to know how they can help. There wasn't too much we could ask for at the beginning. We were just kind of formulating how to go about doing this and taking on the show and, and, and going forward with it. But we finally came up with a way to um, solicit help. And, again, it's completely 
in anyone's court that wants to. These shows are going to always be free and available to everyone without, you know, giving any money, buying anything. They'll be on YouTube and a variety of uh, audio-only networks. But if you'd like to help in some way and get something in return for doing it, we set up a page on Patreon.com. You can see it if you're watching the video version that there are a variety of pledge levels you know, ranging from one, two, three, five dollars uh, into mid-range twelve, twenty-five, um, and there's some big ones because we figured why not put them up there just in case someone was feeling extra generous. Uh, yeah. They're there, but obviously the bulk are uh, the bulk of the donations always come in the, the smaller denominations, and that's perfectly fine. And and we would love to see a bunch of people just saying that they enjoy the show, they want to see more of the show, and that's what we want to get out of it. We want to be able to do this more often and do it bigger and do it better. And any um, donations or Patreon subscriptions will just help us do that. Every every dollar put forth to the show um, via donations on the Patreon page or through um, the bulldoghour.com will go right back into the show. And you can see we have um, some goals over here. If we get to a certain pledge level for each show, we'll try to do the show every other week. We'll try to make it longer and do it live where you can interact while we're doing the show. Just so check out patreon.com slash bulldog hour if you're interested in helping out. That's the best way to do that for those of that that asked us. Uh, that's the easiest way to help the show, support us, but also get something in return for doing doing that for us. Yeah, and, and like Joey mentioned, you know, the videos will be made, they'll be posted. Um, so you can kind of see what you're gonna get before you, you have to make that kind of uh, commitment. But you know, like you said, it's it's something that we are interested in doing and kind of keeping uh, the ball rolling there. So um, any any support that you feel you, you can lend to us is, is very welcome at, at any level. Like uh, Joey kind of emphasized, you know, and no amount is too small. We'll take we'll take any support we can get. All right. Well, let's get back to the preseason, as it were. At the end of the first week, the Bulldogs hosted the first scrimmage. They took on Parkland, and we're going to talk a little bit here while we show some highlights from that scrimmage. It's always a great litmus test for the Bulldogs, and they've been playing Parkland in the first scrimmage for, I'm not even sure I can say a year. I mean, it's when I played 15 years ago, we were playing Parkland in the first scrimmage, and it's always a great test because Parkland is just another great squad. Uh, I believe District 11 up there in the Lehigh yep. Valley. Yep. Parkland is expected and to be one of the best teams in right. the state this year. Expected to be a power. They are a powerhouse. They're expected to kind of continue that this year. They have uh, Division One prospects on their team. Devontae Cross, their quarterback, is very strong. They have a wide receiver, uh, defensive back, who I believe is committed to Temple. Yeah, I believe so. And they're they're a very strong squad. They look the part. They're expected to be very very good up there in the Lehigh Valley. And Wilson got to play them the first week, and. You know, it's it's tough to play when you're doing, you know, t- 10 plays in turn. You know, if there's a turnover, it doesn't matter. If there's a touchdown, it doesn't matter. The offense gets 10 plays. The defense gets 10 plays, and you do that four times. Watching it in person, the squads looked very evenly matched, which, you know, Parkland's getting all the hype, so that's good for Wilson, but we're also getting a lot of hype, too, so that's good for Parkland. They, they, Wilson and Parkland scrimmage look very, very much a, you know, toe-to-toe battle. Parkland scored once in their first 10 plays with the starters. Wilson scored once in their 10 plays with the starters. Both teams had very good moments on offense and likewise on defense. The breakdowns were corrected. Both teams were missing a few guys to injuries, especially I know the Bulldogs 
We were missing a few linemen vying for uh, the open right tackle spot. It's just things that you have to weather during the first week of training camp. And this was the first test. And I, I think Wilson uh, stood strong and looked very good against a team that's supposed to uh, be one of the best in the state this year. Yeah, and kind of like we we, uh, we referred to earlier when we said, you know, having that early non-league uh, schedule that's a challenge, you know, scrimmaging uh, quality opponents like Parkland is also essential. It lets you learn from your mistakes, like you said, um, because when you play a good team like them, if, if you screw up, they're going to take advantage of it, and that's what you need. You don't need a team that you can go out there and scrimmage and – if you make a mistake, they're not going to be able to take advantage, you know, because really what are you, it's harder to learn from that. You know, if the play works out in your favor anyway, it's harder to learn from that uh, mistake, you know, so being able to play these quality teams and have those opportunities. There's the uh, here, tempo yeah, right that, there, by the way. Yeah. And you can tell, cause he's the tallest player on the field. He was gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Looks like Randy Moss out there on the far side. <laughs> yeah, he was big. He was strong. He was very good. I, I'm trying to advance here so we can watch a little bit on defense. I just want you to see what happened on their uh, touchdown play. I must have gone by. I think it was on the last play. Might have been on this play right here. No, that's the punt. Here we go. I think it was this play because I think it was play 10. Just watch the push. <laughs> Not called. Yeah. So, but you know, someone turned to me laughing and said, "Oh, they don't throw flags in in scrimmages." And the next few plays were just flags. Right. right <laughs> so, flags are right. but we like everyone kind of rolled their eyes and couldn't believe that there was no flag on that play. But yeah, um, yeah it's just a scrimmage, so no big deal. But that was their touchdown. Now, now the Wilson came out on offense. Uh, I believe the first quarterback was Colin Powers. He took the first snaps. We saw Jake Klein as well. Uh, again, we were looking at a variety of players at right tackle, trying to find the right mix because of injuries. Uh, Shane Dantzler running the ball looked very strong. You're going to see a run here coming up um, after that one, which he just kind of bulldozed his way through whatever he could get. Um, he's got a big run coming here, I think, to the right side of the field. You know, overall, team looked good. Line opened some holes. They had a few breakdowns. Quarterbacks hit some passes. They missed on others. It, it's the first scrimmage. You got what you expected. Right, and and that's kind of – like you're saying, there was a flag thrown there. But, um, you know, like you said, there, you're going to have some good. You're going to have some bad. You just hope that your bad are, are minor things that you're can that you able to address and correct um, sooner rather than later. Because, you know, it, it's when, you know, we talked, they had a scrimmage uh, just yesterday. Um, when, when you see some of the same things come up in that scrimmage, then it becomes a little more difficult. Um, I think this might this have been the play you were run. talking yeah, about. This is yeah. the big run to the right side. He gets tripped up or he was gone. That would, yeah, a great run by uh, Shane and the Bulldogs. So that that was pretty much – those are the highlights of the Parkland scrimmage. Like I said, the um, the, the starters, at least the, the people expected to start, only played really first 10 and 10. Um, and then you saw some of the rotational guys work in and some of the backups – and just, you know, trying out different positions, just seeing what's going to work. Um, we had the JV scrimmage afterwards as well. The team came back and had a, a full week of practice um, with the start of school mix there, there as well. And then Friday, last night, they traveled down to Springford for their second scrimmage against another quad A team, a quality opponent, has a lot of Wilson ties, is coached by Chad Brubaker, who you saw at the intro of uh, this episode, talking with Coach Contafio back in 2000 with kind of the beginnings of the Bulldog Hour there in the late 90s, early 2000s. He's the head coach at Springford, and he's been there, I believe, since 2010. He's really t 
brought that program back. It had been a strong program. It was down a little bit. Coach Brubaker's brought them back, and he's had them challenging for division titles. He's had them going deep into the district playoffs. And Wilson Springford is a highlight during the uh, the, the August tradition of the, of the scrimmages. Um, that'll change in the coming years, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but let's take a look at some of the Springford scrimmage and uh, highlights from from that event last night. Yeah, so like you said, you know they always have this second scrimmage, and again, hopefully, what they hope to see is that they've were able to clean up some of the things that uh, they didn't necessarily hit on in the first uh, scrimmage. You you want to make sure that your second week you were able to clean up those things and uh, get the job done uh, this in this week's um, scrimmage. Now Wilson's wearing their um, apparently road red practice jerseys with the quarterbacks in gray. They are not wearing the uh, appropriate numbers if you haven't caught on to that. So if you're thinking you're going to spot a certain player, Shane Dancer, who wears a certain number during the year, he's not wearing that number right now. Uh, so don't confuse yourself. Don't think, oh, who is this guy out there? Um, these are all the, uh, the the big time players that you wanted to see. They're just sporting different numbers for the time being. But again, these are the highlights from last night's scrimmage against Springford. They did do game action. So I think they played an entire half. Okay. Uh, you know, with the change, with the referees, coaches primarily off the field. You, know, you can see them deep in the background, but most of the stuff was done from the sidelines. And you just kind of want to see, is everything working out? And that's what they're working through here. Um, you take scores from scrimmages with a grain of salt because, again, you, you hold out coaches, some people. Right, and you, coaches were trying to set up specific situations right. so they can see certain scenarios. You, you know? follow a certain script, no matter, right. you know, down in distance sometimes. You're, you're not specifically thinking the way you would in a game, but this is closer than the 10-10 and 10 that we saw against right. Parkland. Uh, I know people were saying, I think, uh, after this first quarter here, and I, we probably won't get to see everything, but after the first quarter, it was um, Wilson with three touchdowns versus Springford having none. I think at the conclusion of the scrimmage, the final count was, uh, I believe, four touchdowns for Wilson versus one for Springford. Um, you know, but again, scrimmage scores really are 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 meaningless right. in, in the long yeah. term. But because you, you have no idea, kind of out of context, what they were working on, what based on what Springford saw last week, you know, mm -hmm. in their scrimmage, what they're trying to shore up this week, you know. You, sometimes you have position battles. You you're trying to figure out things, you know. So you're you might be play calling certain things for because you, you want to see your guys, not necessarily um, what the other team's doing. I know that's a, a lot of coaches take that mentality into a scrimmage. You know, the, that is all about us. It's not at all about what the other team is doing. You know, we're not reacting necessarily the way we would in a game. We just want to see specific things for our guys. And there's a big play by Wilson right there setting up inside the 15. But, yeah, you're completely right. You know, um, we're not going to hang on here too much longer. I'm, I'm going to guess Wilson's going to score here, so we'll, we'll stick to it. But I don't want anyone buying into the hype from a scrimmage score that, we, you know, we saw reported on Twitter. Um, you know, there are always going to be highlights, lowlights um, for both teams. And uh, uh, Wilson certainly had some, some good plays last night. But – as really has been the case all off season, this group is focusing on Mifflin. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people think, you know, well, um, you know, when, when you're looking to try and focus on, on a different, uh, you know, on an opponent, it, it, that can sometimes be a trap depending on when that game falls. However, for Wilson and Mifflin, that is always in week. Well, I shouldn't say always in the last recent uh, few years, that's been week one. 
Uh, so that Wilson Mifflin game, which is such you know a huge game, uh, huge for both teams, huge for Berks County football, um, and kind of big in the two areas that kind of reaches into Lancaster Lebanon League football and you know the uh, Berks League because of the two teams are not in the same league anymore. So it kind of propels those teams on into their season. Uh, but they, they play that game right off the bat. So they have this huge focus on week one. You know, it, sometimes, again, I think that's another benefit to having that tough, you know, uh, non-league conference schedule at the beginning is that you, you can draw that focus right away. You're not thinking, oh, we've got these games, you know, we, we should have this handed to us, all that stuff. That's not the case because, um, you know, you have this huge game right off the bat. So, you know, like you said, they'll come out of that scrimmage against Springford last night, and they're going to start immediately kind of shifting their focus and going this week, you know, because they played that scrimmage on Friday. The Parkland scrimmage was on a Saturday. Uh, the Springford game was on Friday. So now they've entered, you know, they've kind of entered this week, you know, that now they're in a game week. And, you know, we're going to hit the ground running uh, with our preparation for Mifflin and, and trying to make sure that we have all the stuff that's, needed to be needs to be taken care of before next Friday night uh, when when the team travels to Shillington to take on the Mustangs. All right, let's look forward to that team here. Now we're going to kind of throw out here some projected starters. This is our idea of what we saw through the first two scrimmages, conversations with with coaches and players. This is an, a general idea of what we're expecting to see. Um, the biggest question mark, and nothing was finalized, was with the right tackle position, what was going to happen there. There were multiple players vying for that spot um, in Wyatt Schonauer, who's only a sophomore, um, Isaiah Regal, a junior, Nick Cummings, also a, a junior, uh, Aleem Osman, a senior. Um, I don't have the final say on that. I'm not sure if we'll get a final say. We could see a rotation there. Uh, the other line positions are pretty much set in stone, though. We're going to see Nick Klein finally get to play at left tackle. He should have started last year. He tore his ACL at the beginning of camp and missed the entire season. Pete Widener returns at left guard. Jake Morris will fill in at center. Ike Schonauer, right tackle last year, is shifting down to right guard. The receivers are pretty much all returning from last year. you got Jake Gaiman and John Fox seniors. Fode Jalo returning as a junior. They lost Jake Wolbert, but Fode will step in there after playing uh, uh, that position last year as well. Alex Twyford broke out towards the middle and end of last season. He'll kind of be an, an H-back tight end. And then, obviously, we have Shane Dantzler at running back. But everyone wants to know about the quarterback position. Is it going to be Jake Klein? Is it going to be Colin Powers? You're going to see one of the young guys step up. I truly believe the way things are playing out that we might see both of them, both senior players, have their shots to direct the offense. And why Why is that a good thing? I mean, a lot of people say quarterback by committee, not a good thing. I think it's a great thing because they have different styles of play. But Jake Klein is also, in addition to being your punter, He's also a key contributor on defense. Right. And so, you know, I, again, we don't necessarily know which way that that is going to play itself out yet. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, you're going to have to uh, buy a ticket or listen on the radio and, and go to uh, Shillington next Friday night if you want the official word on how that is actually going to uh, play itself out at, at quarterback. Um, you know, so, so we'll kind of wait and, and see how that, how that unfolds but like you said either way and it i doubt anything is final you know um it's kind of this is what we're going with right now and and then we'll kind of see how how things continue to go um 
as it starts to uh, play itself out, they'll kind of reevaluate and, and hopefully uh, things are going well and they can use some positive information and, and make decisions, uh, you know, based on how things are working and don't have to make decisions based on things that aren't working. You know, right. hopefully they're maybe able to make a lot of positive decisions, but uh, we'll have to just wait and see. Okay. Now we kind of brushed through it, but it was just because you didn't have to say too much about him when you when you're bringing up uh, returning offensive players. But besides figuring out who's going to play quarterback, it's great to know that you don't have to worry about the running back position um, when you have Shane Dancer coming back to you. And um, we're going to talk here a little bit about Shane, uh, and we'll show you some of his highlights um, over the last couple of seasons. And uh, they're kind of phenomenal. Um, it's been uh, many years in the making for him. He was pulled up as a freshman, so he's been with the team since 2012. Some of the stuff he's been able to do has just been outstanding. Um, you know, for to look back at last year, he had 248 carries, rushed for 1,659 yards, had 12 rushing touchdowns. He added in 21 catches for 270 yards and another six touchdowns. Combining his rushing and receiving yardage, he had the sixth best uh, total offensive yardage season in program history. Uh, he'd be chasing the record held by Brian McCarty from the 1989 season of 2,252. And if Shane stays healthy, which was the problem last year, he missed a couple games um, with an injury, he should have the chance to push uh, McCarty's record on top of uh, the Wilson record books. Uh, but some of the things Shane's has done has been incredible. Uh, he'll probably, based on the way the offensive looks and his athleticism and talent, he could have the opportunity to push some of Wilson's single-season records, um, some of them being uh, carries, rushing yards, total offensive yards that I just mentioned, rushing touchdowns, and total touchdowns. The, the touchdowns one is an interesting one because if he's able to break those records, Wilson's going to have a very good year because those records are pretty hard to catch. It's it's kind of unfathomable to think of a player that can have as many touchdowns as Pete Gilmore did in 1999 when he had 32 on the ground and he added another through the air for a, a re program record 33 and all. Um, but but that's where we're at, um, talking about Shane Dantzler here entering his senior season for Wilson. And I'm throwing up some, uh, some stats here on the screen as well. And uh, you can see who he's chasing and uh i don't know you can kind of yeah. formulate in your head the odds of him making here making uh, a push to, to top them uh these are his uh, career stats uh he's at 406 carries in his three seasons thus far the record's held by jake stopper of 699 he's chasing rodney gillen's record 3694 rushing yards shane sits at 2816 it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out that if all goes as planned and Shane is healthy this year, he's going to get 878 yards that he needs to tie. Yeah, uh, again, you know, obviously that, that relies on some things uh, remaining constant throughout the season, you know, like health and, and things like that. But you, you would hope uh, that, that some of these uh, may be in within his reach. Um, you know, it, and, you know, when we've talked to guys, you know, including Shane, you know, they, they tell us, you know, that's a, that's a team effort. While he kind of compiles those those stats and the stats he has compiled are uh, pretty amazing when you think about he's only through his junior year. Most of the people that he has passed on a lot of the lists, you know, um, you know, were you know did the reach those things in you know their senior year and he's there after his junior year. And like you said, he is kind of the one of the exceptions. It doesn't happen 
often. It happens a little bit, but it doesn't happen often. He was able to get up and actually um, make the team as, as a freshman. And so, um, you know, that, that kind of changes, you know, the amount of games and things like that. But, um, you know, hopefully he, he can continue to uh, run with that kind of effectiveness and have that kind of impact on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, definitely. And it's incredible to see some of these marks that uh, have been set by a lot of great players at Wilson history, uh, but he's chasing them all in terms of career and possibly pushing the single season marks, both of which have been thrown up here on the screen. If you looked uh, at the career and then the single season stuff that we're talking about with Shane Dancer, uh, it's just um, mind blowing to see some of the stuff he's been able to do. Uh, but when you look at the names, you know, it's not uh, that much of a surprise that every few years Wilson has a great running back and, you know, Thinking about some of these players, you know, I saw, obviously we saw Rodney Gillen play because he was recently, you know, he was just four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, Pete Gilmore was when I was growing up right before I started playing varsity football. And I remember watching as a, as a very young guy, uh, Jeff Nadrowski uh, in the early 90s run around the football field. Um, a little young to remember McCarty and, and the great 1989 and 1990 teams. It was really 91 onward where I can kind of remember some of the names Um but yeah, to see Shane pushing some of these players is a uh, is a real treat, and uh, you know, sel selfishly thinking about the twenty fifteen season, I hope he gets there, just because it probably means Wilson's having a pretty good year. Right, like you said, you know, um, and like we kind of alluded to before, with you know, it's it's going to take a lot of um, team effort to to kind of be able to achieve some of those things. Um, like you said, if he's knocking down some of those goals, it's a good sign for the team in general. So uh, hopefully hopefully he does get there. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit of defense here. Here are our projected starters on the defensive side of the ball. Again, this is just our opinion, what we've gathered from conversations with the players and looking at the scrimmages to date and the history of the program and who's returning. We're looking at... Um, defensive ends, possibly a rotation involving Alex Twyford and Isaiah Regal. Ben Harris is also a name you'll probably hear there as well. Inside, you'll probably see Nick Klein um, starting both ways. Next to Mackenzie Saloka, who was a starter there last season. The outside linebackers, I men mentioned quarterback Jake Klein. He was a rotational guy there last year. He'll probably get the, the nod there with the quarterback rotation. Fode Jalo returning as an outside linebacker starter. And inside, you have the rock that is Ike Schonauer returning for his third year as a starter. He'll be flanked most likely by Leo Quigley, who's a junior. The secondary, a lot of ta returning talent there in safety, John Fox and cornerback Jake Gaiman. Jake Gaiman will be flanked by Adam Close, who filled in for... Uh, some of the injured cornerbacks last season, so he has experience. And also, not even mentioned there is safety Tommy O'Brien, a junior, who filled in for John Fox when he was injured last year. So even if they're not returning starters, there's a lot of rotational guys, both on offense and defense for Wilson, that got a lot of key varsity time last season. Yeah, and that that's a key, because when you have those guys that you can get in the game and it's not their first experience uh, you know, in crunch time, that that's always a benefit because you, you have the opportunity to put in a guy there and, and limit if, if any drop off that you can limit the, the amount of that drop off. And like you said, there's so many guys that, you know, have to have to wait their turn and kind of get some time here and there due to injuries. But when you get that chance, you have to make the most of it because you never know. And you hopefully it works out. And, and some of those guys who got maybe uh, some, you know, got time sparingly last year and are now prime to step up into some of those big roles 
All right, so that that's our look at the team entering the season. There's probably a bunch of players on there that we didn't mention. We just we didn't even touch on special teams. We didn't look really at at the depth chart. Those are just kind of the starters. So it's really just eleven positions on each side of the field. There's a lot of players. You know, don't no disrespect to a lot of those guys that are going to fill in and be rotational. That's just kind of our take because people ask all the time, who's going to start here, who's going to start there. That's what we've got to work with right now, and that's what we expect it could be completely different on September fourth at Governor Mifflin Stadium when. We're Wilson kicks off against Mifflin here in, in less than a week. Yeah, like I said, if you want to see what the finalized uh, starting starting lineup ends up being, you're probably going to have to buy a ticket and head over to Shillington. So, All right. Um, and I encourage you to do that, actually. Well, Justin, you know what? I'm sick of talking. You know, we, we've done enough talking. I think we should let some other people do some talking here. That works for so me. So we were able to reach out to not just some of the senior players, some of the big guys that are coming back and, and some key contributors this season, but – we were granted access to the coaching staff, and we were able to get interviews with offensive coordinator Jeremy Palm, defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber, and head coach Doug Doms. So we're going to move on and uh, tackle some of the uh, questions that we sent their way and, and see what their answers were. So our first question for head coach Doug Doms was about his tenure at Wilson so far. And, you know, he's been here for – this will be his 40th season as head coach at Wilson – excuse me, 40th season on the coaching staff, 10th as head coach. And we just kind of asked him, did he expect to hear, be here for this long and what his expectations were when he joined the program? It kind of came on last minute. Uh they had uh, John Stopper left the week before football camp started, and they called me. I was working in Baltimore and said, hey, well, would you like to coach football? So I said, sure. So I don't know what my expectations were at that time. Uh, you know, I just thought, hey, it'd be great to be, you know, I, I love football. I thought it'd be great to coach, and uh, uh, it's just become a legacy, I guess, of my life. So who knows? So next up, as a little follow-up here, um, we talked about him becoming head coach um, in June of 2006, and we weren't sure, uh, some fans in the community weren't sure if he, he wanted to be the, the top dog, as we say, at Wilson, just because he kind of had for so long been an assistant under a, a lot of coaches here at Wilson, primarily Gursky, Slummer, he also worked with Contapio. But when he took the job, he's kind of like, I'm kind of like I'm placeholder here. Um, you know, this is for one year. He, he does so much other stuff at the school between academics and other athletics. People were, were interested to know, does he want to be, you know, the actual full-time head coach, not just under interim status? And, you know, what, what's his opinion of what happened uh, when, when those questions were being asked almost 10 years ago? Um, that's a good question. I, obviously, with the release of our head coach in May uh, back in 2006, they came to me as obviously one of the longest-term tenured coaches here and asked me to take it for one year, and I agreed to do it for one year. Uh, we had uncommon success that year for a program in transition, and 
you know, I sat down with my staff afterwards. I don't even know they'll joke about this, but they basically said, yeah, you should stay. Um, so I don't know. I, uh, I have a great staff. They do a great job, and I get all the credit. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I want to do what's best for Wilson football, and I, I've stayed on simply because I think the – for those years that I've been there, that uh, with the staff that we had and everything that was going on, that was a very successful formula. Time-wise, you're right. Uh, I, that hasn't changed. I don't know. I mean, anybody that knows me knows I'm at school every morning at you know, 5.15, 5.30 in the morning, and I'm lucky if I get home at 9, 9.30 at night. But uh, I got a uh, very understanding wife. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question we had for Coach Toms was um, more about just, you know, over his tenure as a coach at Wilson, whether it's as the head coach or as an assistant coach or the defensive coordinator or whatever, um, were were there any teams that, that really stood out in his mind for whatever reason? Well, there's some that stand out athletically. Obviously, the 78 team was a really special team. I mean, we ran undefeated. Uh, nobody was challenged. Nobody even challenged us that year. Uh, we had three thousand-yard rushers in uh, Simcox, Polano, and Olinger. Uh, it was just an exceptional football team. Unfortunately, they didn't have playoffs back then. Uh, Eighty-one was a really unique year because uh, defensively we were off the charts good, um, and again another one of those undefeated seasons. And then after that. You know, you got to look at years like 89, where we were in the state semi or state finals, 90, we're in the state semifinals. Um, and then any of the years, you know, that we were district champs, 08, 12. Uh, last year, as a district champ in state, you know, semifinals, just because we didn't expect a whole lot and the kids just rose. You know, that was a really special year. But, you know, those are just off the top of my head. You know, they're all special. You know, it's just a question of what you look at it. Next question uh, we have for Coach Tom was uh, regarding the 2015 season and basically saying, you know, expectations are, are rather high for this team. Uh, how do you keep the players and, and fans, um, you know, grounded and, and paying attention to the details that need to be uh, attended to? Well, last year, the, you know, it was kind of my mantra with the kids. I kept challenging them that they weren't that good. And that kind of fueled their fire. So, you know, they played exceptional and had great team chemistry. Uh, every year I go into a season saying, oh, I'm hoping we're five and five so we don't have a losing season. And, you know, this year we're a little bit more optimistic. We're hoping six and four. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, we do have a few players back. Uh, but as any other year, it, it takes. Uh, it takes the look squad to give us a good work each week. It takes all the special teamers. It takes your depth because you're always going to have injuries. And uh, like you said, they, they got to stay grounded because if you look at, you know, some years people are saying, oh, there's the team to beat. They got everybody back. All right, so the next question for Coach Johns was about um, the, the first week of the season or has it been for the last, you know, decade or so. Do you like facing our biggest rival in Governor Mifflin, the first game of the season? And we asked this to actually all the coaches, so we'll hear from all of them. But up first, we'll finish with Coach Doms here. Mifflin 
is a great opener both for us and for the county because it's uh, it's one of the biggest rivalries in Berks County. It happens the first game of the year, Labor Day weekend. Everybody's home. College kids come home for it. And everybody gets really excited about football because it's such a big game. Uh, personally, I'd rather play in week three, but, you know, they're not agreeable to that. They want to play week one. So uh, as far as the school, the school spirit and everything going on, I think it's a great opener for us. Yeah, absolutely. The next one's a big one that's I'm not sure if everyone in the community is aware of it, but it's been making the rounds in the media and it's about changes to the PAAA classifications. As it stands right now, there are four single A, double A, triple A, quad A. Obviously, Wilson is a quad A school. The talk is that we may be expanding to a six A classification. And we just asked Coach Doms um, what his opinion opinions are on the reorganizing and how exactly it's going to affect Wilson. Well, there's a whole bunch of different proposals up there, a super 700, a super 800, or just a simple six division. Uh, personally, I like it the way it is right now. I'd like it to stay the way it is right now. Uh, if there's going to be a division, the division should probably be, they should probably set up a, uh, a charter school division for districts and states because it kind of is a little bit of an unlevel playing field, but the PIAA doesn't look interested in doing that. So uh, either way you do it, we're probably going to end up in, this, in the largest category, barely in the largest category. But, you know, hey, if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. Um, our next question uh, was uh, to Coach Doms about the changes that are going to be coming to the schedule in, in uh, the coming seasons, not you know the 2015 season, but 2016, 2017, and what new teams will the Bulldogs be playing? Right now, as far as we know, uh, we'll still open up with Mifflin. Uh, Central Dauphin East has decided to drop us, so we picked up Spring Ford. Uh, where, where our former offensive coordinator has been the head coach for the last several years. Uh, and we'll still continue to play Central Dolphin. We just signed a contract with them for two more years after this. Uh, as far as the league is concerned, the changes you said, Cedar Crest is moving down, Lebanon is moving up, which is a shame because Cedar Crest has been showing some improvement. Uh, Lebanon, we haven't played them since oof, right around 2000, I think, might have been the last they were up in Section 1. But uh, – you know, the LL does everything based on size. So they'll be moving up, Cedar Crest moving down, even though there's only a difference of probably five or ten students. But, uh, you know, the biggies, the townships, the Hemfields and all that, you know, the ones that are going to challenge us year in and year out stay the same. Our last question for Coach Doms was, um, you know, what message would he want to, to relay to the Wilson community and the Bulldog football fans as the 2015 season approaches? I know a lot of people are talking, expectations are high. They have to remember that, you know, we do have several players back, but we have several new players that have to learn and develop and uh, we'll make their mistakes along the way. So hopefully they'll just support us in everything we do as they have in the past. And uh, we'll try to put the best product on the field and uh, do our school proud and community proud.
So that was our interview with head coach Doug Doms, again, entering his 10th season as head coach at Wilson, all of which have been extremely, extremely successful here. And a lot is expected, as we talked about during that interview of the 2015 squad. Now, coming up next, we're going to have our interview with offensive coordinator Jeremy Palm, and then we'll follow that up with uh, Coach Ernie Wolber, the defensive coordinator, and then finally we will get to hear from some of the Bulldog players. So up next here, let's head into our interview with offensive coordinator Jeremy Palm. All right, so our interview with offensive coordinator Jeremy Palm started with the question about taking over as offensive coordinator in 2010 after Coach Chad Brubaker moved to Springford. And we just want to know what has been the reason for the offensive success in his time, Coach Palm's uh, tenure as the offensive coordinator to date. We've been pretty blessed to have uh, some outstanding athletes. Um, you know, each year it appears that there's a record that's that's in the – in the reach of one of our guys who goes out there and gets it. And, um, you know, it, it's really been a, a lot of hard work by the coaching staff, which is awesome. Uh, you know, offensive line coach, wide receivers, coaches, running backs, coaches, those guys are really putting in the time and the work. Um, and, and then, you know, you throw in the players, which are really busting their chops and, and uh, doing everything they can to, uh, you know, put the best product out there and win football games. <clears throat> Our second question with Coach Palm was about working with the Wilson defense under Coach Wolver and all the great defensive coordinators before him. That is there a point where you're thinking, all right, if we can score this many, we're probably going to win the game because the defense is so good. It's kind of a running joke, you know, on the staff. Like, if you guys can get us this many this week, you know, when we leave on a Sunday night, um, you know, that's that's kind of been the case. We know they're good, so we know we don't have to force anything. You know, if we get to a certain point total, we know that they're gonna they're gonna do their best and they're gonna slow most teams down. Our next question for Coach Palm uh, was about you know looking back at. Uh, the teams he has coached and and the teams he played with at Wilson, um, and if there was any uh, teams that or individuals that jumped out, um, you know, in in his memory of his time at Wilson. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Chad Henney a little bit. He he was outstanding in his position, and you know, my first year that I was here back with the team a little bit, if you know, you find yourself, man, that was a great throw. Man, that was a great throw. You know, in every practice, you're sitting there going, "I gotta stop saying this. I'm gonna say this after every throw." Um, John Gilmore, who I was lucky enough to play with, was was outstanding, um, and really, Alex Austin was was probably one of the more uh, physically talented kids, um, you know, to come through through here. He just had the skill set um, that was phenomenal. The next question for Coach Palm was, um, in his 14-plus seasons on the field or sidelines as a Bulldog, have you seen a defensive player stand out above everyone else? You think about some of the some of the guys that went went through here, and, and our linebacker position really kind of stands out. And inside and outside linebackers, we've had some some great kids. Uh, Ike being, you know, just a, a heck of a high school football player. Like everything he does, 
is 100 miles an hour and he's just going, going, going. Um, Colton Weaver was a really, really good football player. And, you, you know, these inside linebackers, are, they're so instinctive and physically they have, you know, a great tool set that, um, you know, put them in a spot to be, to excel at what they do. All right, the next question for Coach Palm was talking about his offense and what he has coming back, which is a lot. He has uh, about 8 of 11 starters, depending on how you hash it out, you know, counting Nick Klein returning from an injury. He would have been a starter last year. But is there a player set to take over at the most important position at quarterback for the record-setting Jake Templin, who has graduated and moved on? There's a couple options out there. What's Coach Palm's take on uh, who's going to be the leader of that offense? You know, the, in the Wilson program, you've kind of kind of have every year you're waiting for the seniors to kind of come into their own. And this year we have two seniors that are going to be battling it out right now with, uh, with Jake Klein and Colin Powers. And the two of them um, physically are different and mentally are different. So, you know, we'll see which one wins out overall. But, uh, you know, they've been putting in some time. And, and uh, you know, Colin had a really good camp for us. So hopefully we're, we're going to see these two guys build and, uh, you know, continue to battle, which only – is going to make them both better. All right, we're now at a question that we asked Coach Doms, and it relates to Governor Mifflin and playing them first. Do they like facing Wilson's biggest rival in the first game of the year? Um, yeah, you, you'd like to play them later, you know, but that first game is kind of a measuring stick. Um, last year's game, I don't think we'd end up 14-1 and one if we didn't come back and win that in overtime. I think that win kind of built everything for us and mentally had our kids believing that they could come back from, from any any situation, you know, and scores whatever we need, stop them when we need them. But, yeah, Mifflin, the rivalry, um, it, it's good for the area in football. You know, a couple of years ago it was the PCN, you know, state, uh, state game of the year for week one, and they had that covered, and, and that's pretty neat, you know, to get it kicked off and cranked up right off the bat. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so, so far we've talked to Coach Doms and uh, Coach Palm. You know, got some insight into uh, some of their thoughts of off-the-field stuff and uh, some of the things that are developing on the field as we approach uh, the 2015 season. Uh, we got to talk to them about uh, their, their thoughts on having Mifflin first. Um, you know, that's not something that really escapes any Wilson football player or Wilson fan. I'm sure it doesn't escape the Mifflin fans as well or, or team. Um, you know, I, I know they throw the term around in, in the paper a lot and in, on the news that it's like the Daytona 500 is like NASCAR because the biggest race is the first race. Yeah. Um, and here, you know, the biggest, I, I would argue the biggest Berks County football game is the first Berks County football game. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just interesting getting their insight there. You know, Coach Doms being a longtime assistant and the now, I mean, going into his 10th season as the head coach. That, that's a short time at, at Wilson, generally speaking, yet most programs, you know, that would be, you know, the beacon of stability, 10 years. Um, and, and it is here as well. But And then Coach Palm bringing the insight from having been the quarterback at, right. at Wilson and now being the offensive coordinator, it's kind of just interesting perspectives there, you know, especially because they tend to deal with opposite sides of the ball. Yeah. But, um, you know, just kind of interesting hearing their takes on the developments in the offseason and kind of leading into that uh, Mifflin game week one. It's interesting to hear so far Coach Doms and Coach Palm both kind of said, you know, we wish we were playing them a little bit later. 
but you know it is what it is it is cool that it's kind of the marquee game every year in Berks County and at times in the state even because we saw um what two was it two years ago two it was PCN yeah. Pennsylvania high school football game of the week and it, it's interesting also when you think about we, we discussed earlier on the show about the different preseason setup this year because of um you know late Labor Day and school starting earlier you know really this around the same time just kind of when it falls in the calendar is a little different um you know that kind of just leads to some different um you know practice schedules in the preseason for both teams uh leading into that huge game in week one the teams have played each other if i'm correct i believe 67 times in 71 years this being the 71st season of wilson football and you know you think it might match up perfectly but there's been a few hiatuses and there's a couple times that we played them twice in a season you know just in 2012 that happened there there was a couple yeah i think there was a couple occasions where there was even like a four-year gap but if you combine you know shillington governor mifflin together um you know since Prior to Mifflin, it was Shillington, which kind of the same rivalry there. We've played Mustangs, Bulldogs, or Presidents, whatever. You know, the two neighboring school districts have played uh, 67 times in 71 years. Yeah, so, so it's yeah. definitely a rivalry. Yeah, and and you know, it's definitely getting to, you know, it, it kind of just builds every year and uh, just adds adds more and more uh, to to the stories, uh, you know, that that both sides have. All right, we're going to move to our final coach interview, and that was with defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber. Our first question for Coach Wolber was, um, how is the defense shaping up for 2015 season? Um, you know, they do have a few notable starters returning, but they have some uh, key guys they need to replace as well. Um, I think we're obviously secondaries where most of our kids are returning between the second level between linebacker and defensive backs. Um, up front, I think returning one tackle that played a lot and one in that played a lot and again, spot duty. But uh, we're, we're way ahead of the curve as far as coverage-wise. We're way ahead of the curve as far as what we're doing in the secondary. Um, up front, we're still trying to work on the basics. Um, looking as far as forecasting, I do expect us to be strong against the pass early. And uh, up front, hopefully the run, the run stoppers and the pass rush will come. Um, there's, it's, it's kind of scary because we play Mifflin week one and they run the ball. Yep. Uh, then we go CD East and they spread it out. With, they have a nice running back as well, but then we go against CD who pounds the ball at you. So it's a, it's a stern challenge. Seeing Parkland preseason is going to help. They're one of the best teams around. Springford runs the ball well. So we got to get better up front. Um, Forecasting-wise, I expect our secondary to do very well early, and hopefully our front catches up to them. Our next question for Coach Wolber was about uh, the many defenses as a player and a coach that he has dealt with at in his time at Wilson. Such a hard question. Um, I get individually asked by uh, was our was our player at this position better? This, um, you know, statistically speaking, I have to go my senior year. Um, running the ball, I mean, we had the team's average 1.6 yards per rush. We broke all the records for yardage for a season, um, and everybody says, "Well, everybody ran the ball then." Well. We still stopped them. Um, but looking back, I mean, that was a great team. You know, obviously 78 had a great defense, um, 80 had a great defense. Uh, my coaching tenure, I would say front to back, the 08 team, probably the best defense. Um, just we really didn't have a hole in that defense. There wasn't anybody, not that we try to protect people, there wasn't anybody that there was no downfall there. From up front, secondary, linebacker play, we were loaded. And as a collective unit, and plus we were very intelligent that year. 
and that just makes us we can do so much. I mean, we actually put defenses in we didn't run in games to keep their interest. That's how smart those guys were. The next question for Coach Wolver was about the opponents in the 2015 season and which game did he think would be the most challenging and why? Um, Mifflin's scheme is very difficult because of the inexperience we have up front. Um, to defend the option, wing T, whatever they want to call it, uh, it's difficult because it's assignment football. And if one guy breaks down, there's a fullback up the middle for a 48-yard touchdown. Uh, if another guy breaks down, the, the quarterback keeps it. Another guy breaks down, the pitch man keeps it. So from schematic-wise, uh, Mifflin's our toughest challenge to start with. Um, not the other teams are going to be easy, but anyway. We saw Benjamin at a camp a few weeks ago, and he's throwing a ball very well. Um, CD East presents his own challenge. But to start out right now, my mind is I'm extremely worried about Mifflin just because of they're so good at what they do. Their coaching staff does a great job. Their kids buy in. They play hard. And if we don't stick to assignment of football, we could have a long night. You heard Coach Wobler mention Mifflin there. And the next question was the same one we've thrown at Coach Doms and Coach Palm. Do you like facing Mifflin in week one of the regular season? Um, the difficult part is we get two, we get last year's film footage from them, but they don't return much from last year. They return a few players, um, and their scrimmages, they wear we're all wear maroon shirts. We don't have numbers. We try to go off of different things. We try to pick up on them, so you don't know who's playing what position sometimes because they move people around. Um, and preparing for them, like I'd rather play in week three to have two games under their belts to have them see what they're doing. We go in kind of blind. You know, we don't know who's playing what position because they always have key personnel they put in key spots, but we don't know who they are because they're just wearing regular burgundy jerseys um so it's very difficult so i'd rather play in week three week one i think it's very intense rivalry the fans love it um i think it's good for berks county which more basketball and berks county teams play that kind of rivalry week one um and it's a big emotion ride i mean our head when we've beaten them we've had successful years when they've beaten us they've had successful years so that's a big indicator where we stand so i i would rather play week three but week one let's lace them up and go to work and that was our third interview with a coach and defensive coordinator, Ernie Wolber. And he had a lot of nice things to say about teams from the past, but also this 2015 squad and some of the other things to uh, to look forward to in, in the coming season. Right. And, you know, we, we kind of talked about it, um, you know, it, over the last few years, uh, there's there's been a lot of, um, you know, th there's been a lot of uh, talk about, you know, the, the defenses and, um, Coach Wolber has been kind of, you know, one of the main architect of those. You know, there's other guys that are adding, and they're the first to kind of um, talk about that, you know, and give credit wherever it's due. You know, the, the entire coaching staff, the players, all, all that, uh, you know, kind of as it develops. Um, but it is interesting kind of hearing their take on some of these things, you know, the working, you know, trying to game plan for that scheme, you know, where you're talking about key guys and you don't know who is yeah, who when you're looking your at job. film. You know, yeah, we heard that a lot in, in our interviews and just in talking to uh, the and coaches and the players. It wasn't just the coaches either. Right, the coaches and the players. Everyone kind of just said, do your job. You know, um, I know that might uh, dig you a little bit, Joey, you know, because that's, hey, that's we kind heard, of the I mantra up in not, New England. I'm not sure it made the final cut for Coach Wolver, but he's the one that brought up Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Right. He said, you know, do your job. He knows it's cliche. He knows it's probably overused, but that's – there's a reason for that because it works. If you do your job and let everyone else do their job, 
you're, you're going to accomplish your goals. Right. And as much as I joke with you about not liking Bill Belichick as, as a coach, you can't, no one, and you don't um, deny his success. And, oh, no, you know, I the do way, not. the way the teams kind of just buy in and, and all that, that's, that's part of what makes them successful. And uh, hopefully uh, we see it here as well. All right. We interviewed six senior football players. Some of the big guys coming back or ones expected to make a, a big impact on the season th- this year. And we just asked them a number of questions. Some were just for one of them. Some, all six of them answered. So we're going to run through that uh, interview process with you right now. Our first question uh, was to Pete Weiner, who uh, will be playing on the offensive line. Uh, And we asked him, uh, which game is he looking forward to the most uh, this season? Um, probably the Central Dolphin game is they have a lot coming back too, and uh, it's going to be a really good game. We rematch the district championship game and be a tough matchup. Our next, our next question uh, was to Nick Klein, um, who Joey had had mentioned uh, missed last season. Uh, he had an injury in camp, early in camp, uh, hurt his ACL and uh, missed last year. So he, he's returning. A lot of places aren't counting him as a returning starter, yet he was probably going to be penciled in as a starter last year. So we asked him how his knee is doing and if there are any restrictions uh, following uh, the recovery from that injury from last year. Nope, I'm, I'm fully cleared. It's, uh, it's, it's feeling good right now. All right, so Nick Klein feeling good, ready to come back. The next question we actually asked to running back Shane Dantzler, uh defensive back wide receiver John Fox, and offensive lineman and inside linebacker Ike Shawnow. And we just said, you know, these three guys were brought up as freshmen. It probably felt like this season was a long ways to go back in 2012. Well, here we are in August 2015 getting ready to kick off against Mifflin on Friday. We just said, hey, did you ever think you'd get to this moment entering your fourth and final season as a Bulldog? Yeah, I've waited my whole life for this. You know, it's very exciting to be a senior, you know, and be able to lead this team is a big responsibility. Yeah, it definitely came fast. It's kind of crazy it's here, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. We've been looking forward to it for a while, and we're ha- it's crazy it's here, but it's also kind of exciting it's here, too. Not really. When I first got brought up as a freshman, it was kind of, I thought I had a real long road ahead of me, and it's gone a lot faster than I expected it to be. And expect to be here this quick if I think back about it. It doesn't feel like it's been four years. This next question went just to Shane Dantzler. You know, we've seen what he's been able to do on the field as a running back. We've already profiled that and looked over all his career and season stats that he could possibly break the records in Wilson program history. But he did at times last year play a little defense. So we want to know, are we going to see him playing any defense this year? Um, mostly offense, but if they need me to go out there like play a man coverage, probably on third down and long or something like so that. Some, some packages you might yeah. be able to get out there and show everyone that you can hit too. Some packages, but mostly I'll be on offense. Mostly on offense. Yeah. And we've asked- Our next question was to uh, Ike Schonauer, uh and we asked him as, as a returning offensive lineman, um, would he – 
uh, be staying at tackle or would he be moving to guard and you know if, if he knew at this point yet uh, I think so far this year I'll be staying at guard as it's looking so far but you never know what's going to happen the next question uh, we, we gave to Nick Klein um, and, and uh, Jake Amon and uh, Ike Schoenauer and we wanted to know, you know, them being the two-way players, um, if they had to pick one side of the ball to play on, offense or defense, which would it be? Um, offensive tackle, I feel like I'm a more of a offensive guy. Um, I think I'd probably pick the offense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm stronger on offense than I am on defense, but... Yeah, it's more of my. It's definitely more of my favorite position. Which would you pick? Definitely linebacker. Yeah. It's more more exciting than kind of lineman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's more kind of like a, it's more physical than offense. Kind of get to you're not being really told to do anything. It's kind of you're reacting to yourself. You have to read what's going on and figure out what you have to do. All right, this next one went to Nick Klein, John Fox, Jake Gaiman, and Ike Schonauer. We just asked them, what's been the best moment of your career to date? You know, a few of these guys have uh, already three seasons for the red and white. Uh, Jake's got got two. They're all seniors. What's been the best game or the best moment of your career so far? Uh, definitely the Mifflin game last year, even though I was on the sideline for the entire thing. It was... It was still a special game to watch and a great time. Um, probably, well, sophomore year was definitely beating Penn Manor in the regular season to win the LL. And then last year it was, uh, I'm going to say the Mifflin game was a really fun game to play in and obviously winning the district championship. So those three, I think, all are up there for my favorite moments. Um, and what was some football moments so far? Um, I think my favorite moment so far was the comeback against Mifflin last year. We were down at half by what, like 21, I think it was, and came back and won by at one point in overtime. It was just great. Yeah, it's kind of one of those finish. Uh, beating Mifflin last year in overtime is probably the most memorable, the most exciting. So our next question goes to Shane Dantzler, asking him about the productivity that he wants to achieve. Does he like to get the ball multiple times a game, pushing 20 carries or so? Or, you know, does he in, enjoy the wear and tear of just pounding the rock over and over and over again because we hear in the NFL and even college football people saying they like to get in a rhythm they want to carry the ball more often not less times and we just asked does Shane feel that that same way yeah I would love to have many carries again I just like touching the ball and having to see the line do their job and make big holes for me I just love like running for touchdowns and stuff yeah I like to make big defenders miss make them look silly out there it's a really fun thing to do you've done that and Justin's Right, our next question now uh, we asked to um, a, a lot. Actually, I think we asked all the players. Um, you know, basically, is a victory over Mifflin a must in order to deem the season a success? Which is saying a lot because it's week one, and you know that's the game they're focused on right now. Well, it's always our first goal. We set our our main goals. So, like the first game, we all go game by game. So. 
Mifflin would be our main goal right now, and then we'll look to the next week and the next week. Uh, oh, yeah. We we always want to beat Mifflin. It's always the opening game, and our goal is to go 1-0 each week. So, uh, Brings us good momentum to our squad, you know, hypes us up that we beat them and get ready for the next week. Yeah, I think, well, when we set up our goals, our first goal is always to beat Mifflin and just take it game by game. So beating Mifflin is obviously our top goal right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, from day one in the winter, it's just pushing towards week one against Mifflin, just beating them and getting the season rolling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's huge. It's not a must, but it like it starts you off better because if you start off with a win, like last year, we we weren't expected to really do much, and then we start off with a huge win and a huge upset in overtime, and that just boosts everyone's confidence for the whole rest of the year. Uh, next, we asked the the players, um, in in their opinion, uh, what would make the 2015 season a success, and what must be done to get there. For the season to be successful, um, we would want to go farther than we did last year. Uh, a few trips to Hershey this year. Go to states. Yeah. December. Yep. That's, that's the goal. Going all the way, yeah. All right. All right, then last. I think we just have to, everyone has to know their role and just do every, do the, um, do, do their job and just play assignment football. And if everyone does what they're supposed to do and follows the game plan, we should have a good year. Um, I feel like beating Mifflin's is step one. And also just like with our line, I feel like we have a really good line coming up this year with, I mean, Ike and Nick coming back with his ACL and, I mean, everyone else in like a quarterback situation. I mean, Colin and Jake are do, both doing great. So I mean, with that, I mean our offense is looking pretty good. So just a winning season, two titles. Um, just make it as far as we possibly can. We have a, our first three games are all tough games, and if we win out in those three, that just boosts everyone's confidence for the rest of the year. And then. We have hard games in the league, and then after that, just week by week, just do the best we can. Okay, those were the player interviews that we were able to do a couple weeks ago. It was nice to talk to those guys. Leaders of the team been playing meaningful ball for a number of years, look to make a huge impact on the 2015 season as well. Yeah, it was like we said, it was, it was cool to kind of get some of the insight from the coaches uh, earlier, and then... I'd have access to, you know, kind of talk to some of the players and, and some of the leaders from the team um, just to kind of get their insight into, um, you know, w what was needed, um, you know, for the season to be successful, you know, you know some highlights of, of their past uh, seasons and then kind of, who, you know, what they're doing to kind of move on and um, do the best they can this year. It, you know, they, they seem focused, um, you know, and they definitely seem to have be putting in the hard work, so, you know. I, I think they're anxious to get for the season to get started and kind of just uh, see where they're at and kind of just play. You know, there's so much preparation goes in. We talked about it earlier. Uh, they start in January, you know, and you know, you it all leads up to Labor Day weekend, and uh, they're they're ready to get started. Um, so I think they uh, they just want to kind of get to the point where they can uh, play and uh, see what happens from there. All right, I think it's time to now look ahead and take a look at the Bulldogs' schedule for the 2015 season and just examine uh, game by game all 10 guaranteed contests, what, what, 
we're going to be looking at as uh, Wilson heads into the season opener this Friday against Governor Mifflin. All right, so we'll play some of last year's highlights from each of the games as we talk here about what to expect during the season. As we've said, and as the coaches and players have mentioned, week one is against Governor Mifflin. We all remember what happened last year. It was an incredibly compelling game. Wilson jumped out to a lead. Then Mifflin kind of took over. Things unraveled for Mifflin a little bit towards the end of the game. Wilson fought the entire time, came back, won in overtime 35-34. to We heard the players say that that's one of their best moments despite winning multiple you know back-to-back undefeated season multiple league titles district titles some of them already winning two their biggest moment was that come from behind overtime victory to kickstart last year which they said gave them the momentum to possibly get them to a 14 and one yeah the the two things i kind of really take away from our talk to them about that mifflin game last year was um one, they, they talked about how it kind of gave them the confidence. You know, coaches and players talked about how that kind of changed the mindset. Not that they had bought into the, you know, kind of questions that were there, but just everyone kind of was wondering, you know, what that team was going to do. So, um, you know, it was a little bit of an unknown. And then the other thing um, was kind of just how, you know, they were, they were able to fight back and, and work so hard. And that, that week one um, really just kind of changed the course of the season. Yeah, it really did. And speaking about Mifflin, um, we have we Mifflin lost a lot during graduation. They lost a lot of key players. Obviously, Jan Johnson's one of the big ones, but they lost a lot of players uh, elsewhere as well. They have seven guys back, you know, out of uh, twenty-two plus special teams. That's not a lot. The big players for Mifflin are going to be the Garner brothers that we've probably seen a lot talked about in the Reading Eagle. Uh, we're, I have to go to Mifflin, so that's always a difficulty. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, you know, Wilson's got all this great talent back. Mifflin lost a lot. But what I always tell people is you never, ever underestimate a rival, and you never buy into the hype of your own team to start a season. Because it happened a couple years ago. We saw when the shoe was on the other foot. In 2011, Mifflin had all the hype entering the season. Sorry, not 2011. 2013. We went over there, and... The Bulldogs took it to the Mustangs pretty good. I think it shocked them a lot because Mifflin, I, I think they had bought into to the hype and thought that they were going to be an incredibly talented team, which they ended up being very, very good in 2013. But Wilson went over there, underdog mentality, and, and took it to them. Then we had the great, amazing finish last year. So starting off 2015 right is a win against your biggest rival. So we'll see if we'll, Wilson's able to do that. Yeah, like you mentioned, um, you know, you you look at last year's uh, game. You know, there's a point. Wilson's down 21, I think, in the second half, um, and it, and it just looks like uh, they're they're pretty much done. Um, you know, they they weren't able to really get anything sustained, and then all of a sudden they start clawing back. And next thing you know, you're in a close game with in in your biggest rivalry game, and you never know what's going to happen. So that's the kind of situation that uh wilson you know i, I said roles are almost kind of reversed this year um, yeah definitely you know, wilson has a lot of guys returning and you know the uh you know mifflin's going to be the home team and they're the team that's looking to to knock off um you know wilson and, and try and you know get their season started we thought we talked about how um 
you know, Wilson used that to kind of propel a lot of their success last year. But uh, Coach Wolberg talked about it earlier in, in his interview about how when when Wilson wins, they tend to go on to have a good season. Uh, when when Mifflin wins, they tend to go on and have a good season. They, both teams really want that first win uh, to kind of get things off on the right foot. The Bulldogs will travel on the road once again in Week 2. They'll go to CD East, who they beat twice last year, once in the regular season and then once again in the playoffs. They're also only returning nine starters, but a lot of athleticism on the field. Jihad Nybauer is back for them at quarterback and in the secondary. They have a couple transfers as well, and Hickerson Rooks returns. So there's some big-name players, some strength for CD East. And, you know, on the road at the beginning of the season, you never want to count anyone out. And they're also kind of still dwelling on that playoff game. They think they got... Um, the, the short end of the stick, uh, I, and they're definitely going to be hyped up about this game uh, week two to start the 2015 season. Yeah, especially with Wilson traveling to CD East, um, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things where it uh, definitely um, leads to uh, just, just again, another huge matchup. So week one, you have your biggest rival, and week two, you have a team you played twice last year and ended their season in the district semifinals, you know, in, in a close, hard-fought game where the other team kind of feels uh, some things didn't necessarily go their way. Um, so, you, you know, those first two weeks on the road, this, this team's going to get tested early. Uh, you know, in those hostile environments and uh, traveling. And, you know, one's a super short kind of road trip, and the other one's uh, about as long as they'll, they'll make, you know, for a while this year. Week three is the big one. A lot of people are talking about that one. It's a matchup of last year's district final and uh, it's with Central Dolphin. We get them at home this year. Last year we traveled to Central Dolphin. We squeaked out a win in 2014, 14-12 in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, Wilson was able to come out on top by a larger margin. But get this. While we think Wilson has a lot returning, depending on you count it, you know, I've seen anywhere from 11 to 15 starters, you know, because there's always the rotational guys. Do they count injury returners? Do they count? But Wilson, you know, 11 to 13, 15, depending on, on who's uh, profiling them. Central Dolphin, 18. Yeah, that means <laughs> that's insane. That means there's only four guys that they lost last year. Right. From their starters. And I'm pretty sure all of the skill guys are, are back, starting with Rally Serve, the running back. They have decided on a full-time starter, a quarterback. They kind of rotated guys last year. Um, they, they're keeping the, the true pocket passer under center now and moving their shifty athletic guy uh, around as, as an athlete in space, running back wide receiver. Uh, they have an extremely strong defense, as they usually do. Again, last year, Wilson was only able to score um, 14 the first time around. I think it was 21 the second time around. I think it was 21-10 in the district final. So a lot, a lot to like with Central Dolphin. These two teams, Wilson and Central Dolphin, by all media and anyone that writes uh, previews for Pennsylvania high school football, have Wilson and Central Dolphin in the top ten in Quad A, um, possibly even top five. That's across the entire state. So these are two incredibly talented teams that are going to be facing off in Week Three. The home opener uh, for the Bulldogs at Gursky this year will be. One heck of a game for sure. Yeah, we mentioned they're on the road the first two weeks against uh, big-time opponents and then, um, you know, really, really step it up to big time uh, in that home opener against Central Dolphin. Um, I've also heard that there's a few transfers into Central Dolphin. Um, I think 
I had heard uh, one uh, wide receiver from Bishop, uh, Bishop McDevitt had transferred in, um, you know, and, and some other transfers. That happens. Big school districts are a lot big areas. You know, lots of kids move in and out all the time. So, um, you know, we'll kind of see how that develops. Um, you know, that is week three. So, Coach Tom's, you know, and some of the other coaches talked about, you know, they'd like to play Mifflin week a little three, later so they have they some idea Central at least. Dolphin. So now, you know, they may get to see Central Dolphin. Um, they're probably going to see um, – some pretty good performances from Central oh, Dolphin. I, I anticipate, um, you know, Central Dolphin coming into that game uh, as a well-oiled machine. We didn't they, even, they always are. When we, we didn't play. even mention Micah Parsons, who's only a sophomore but is already getting Division One offers. Penn State wants him badly. He had over 100 tackles and 14 sacks or 14 tackles for losses. I can't remember exactly, but uh, as a freshman last year. Yeah. Um, you probably saw him in some of the highlights we show. He was number 90, bigger than everyone else. Yeah, he's only a sophomore this year. Yeah. So a lot of talent you at Central up, Dolphin. You put up those kind of stats in the mid-pen conference as a freshman. That's that's insane. Yeah. Um, you know, so definitely going to have their hands full week three. Um, you know, but there, there's a lot to get to that point, but, you know, it – Basically, it's not getting any easier, you know, through that non-conference schedule for Wilson at all. Now, Wilson face starts their non, or excuse me, starts their Lancaster Eleven League Section One schedule in Week Four. They have to travel to McCaskey. McCaskey always always got a lot of talent out there on the on the field. Sometimes looking for it in the trenches is hard to come by. Uh, they have a solid quarterback returning in addition to 14 other guys. They have 15 total starters returning uh, for McCaskey, and we've got to go there once again. Wilson beat McCaskey at home last year 46-6. to Yeah, and, um, you know, I, the key to McCaskey kind of getting back where they were kind of when we were in school is probably stability. And when you see, you know, that number of 15 returning starters, uh, that's, that's going to be a huge uh, step for them, um, you know, just having a lot of those guys return, coaching staff return, you know, things like that are, are what McCaskey needs to get headed in the right direction. So I, I expect an improved McCaskey team just from experience alone. So um, I expect, uh, you know, um, a, a tougher matchup than, than we got last year because um, I, I think they're they're trending in the right direction. Week 5, Wilson's has their second home game. It's against Cedar Crest. The Bulldogs looked absolutely incredible last season at Cedar Crest, winning that game 62-6. to Now, Cedar Crest does return a bunch of starters. They've got 13 back as well, probably matching what Wilson returns. One of the biggest guys is Evan Horn, who scored the only touchdown for Cedar Crest last year, actually on a pick six. He's an incredibly talented wide receiver and defensive back, and he's getting looks um, from some Division One schools, primarily Temple, I know, is very interested in him as well. Yeah, so, you know, uh, Coach Dom's talked about this might be the last time we play Cedar Crest for, uh, for a little while, at least in league play, um, at least, you know, through the rotations that changes, um, you know, every few years in the LL League. Um, but Cedar Crest is uh, going to be moving down to Section 2 after this year. So, um, you know, I again, a team I think is heading in the right direction. They, they'd kind of stalled out there for a while, um, you know, a few years back. But, uh, you know, again, 13 returning starters, and they had an improved year last year. So I anticipate, um, you know, again, an, another step in the right direction from Cedarcrest. So I think we're going to receive another a tougher challenge than we have the last couple of years from Cedarcrest as well. The next week, 
Wilson has Hempfield on the road. Remember back in 2013, as Wilson was trying to go undefeated through the league again, Hempfield was the first big challenge. The Bulldogs were able to overcome them. They did the same thing last year, beating Hempfield at home 28-7. This year, going to Hempfield, who will return 11 starters. Not a lot, but not too shabby either. 11's not bad at all. And they do return some of their their best players um, in Will Blair, running back, linebacker, um, quarterback Sam Kramer, and also a few linemen, uh, primarily uh, Kyle Smith and Tyler Callahan. So they have a, a, a or, and a Nate Trimble as well. He was the other one. He's the one I'm trying to think of here. Uh, so Hemfield definitely has uh, talent back, and a lot of the previews are picking Hemfield and a team we'll talk about in a few minutes, Manheim Township, as the two main rivals in Lancaster 11 and Section 1 against the Bulldogs. Can they stop Wilson's 50-game league winning streak and seven consecutive league titles? Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Wilson sits at, at 50 consecutive wins right now in the LL League. Um, I believe Manheim Central's uh, record uh, was is at 52. Um, it is, that's not a current uh, – I mean, it's the current record, but that's not a current streak that's going on right now. Again, Henfield – uh, had been down for a few years, but there seems to be some uh, stability there, um, you know. And again, returning starters, not not a ton of starters, but definitely a, a good amount. And so I think they're going to be building too. So, you know, we kind of talk about it. Some of the teams that had been in the lower uh, part of the LL League, I think, are seeing some stability they lacked for a few years. So I, I anticipate them stepping up. Hemfield uh, made a made a made the playoffs i think for the second straight year yeah, last year overtime for the second um, straight years well. yeah it's a couple tough losses um yeah so but again you know so you know they're hungry to get out there and kind of uh, take care of business and you know that's that's one of those where kind of the last few years despite how the teams are playing coming in it, it's been a little closer than the scoreboard may indicate at the end all right the next week wilson is back at home at gersey stadium they'll take on conestoga valley which was a just a destruction um, at, at CV last year. Wilson won 61-14. to 14. The starters barely played any in the second half. I know Conestoga Valley is struggling this year to get the numbers. Last I knew, they are only in their mid-20s for a varsity squad, which is not what you want to hear. And that's they're crazy for a Section 1 school. Yeah, you know? and they're only bringing back four people from last year's squad, so uh, things not looking up for them. They do return their quarterback in Grant Stoltzfus. Hopefully that means something, but when you're replacing – you know, 18-plus starters, depending on the, how the special teams right. are, anyone's going to struggle. I read something that uh, I think outside of Wilson, Conestoga Valley has the second-highest all-time win percentage in Section 1 um, well, that's history. That's been taking a hit. However, yeah, they had been in Section 2 for a while, and now that they've bumped up to Section 1, you know, I think uh, they have a little bit to do to get kind of back up there uh, where they're used to being. So, you know, hopefully they can they can turn it around, but um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of work there to do uh, with with only the you know maybe four or so returning starters. Now the big game in years past had been week nine, but it's looking in 2015 like the big game will be in week eight, and unfortunately it'll be on the road against Mannheim Township, who Wilson played twice last year, beat both times last season uh, in the regular season. They were able to take down Township 28 to 14, but one of the big reasons people think Township will be probably the primary candidate to unseat the Bulldogs from their section dominance is because of quarterback Eric Benjamin, who returns. They have a, a good amount of people back as well. They have 15 returners, which at least matches, if not better, is what Wilson has back. 
should be another good one um, this year in Mannheim and week eight. Definitely not one you want to miss. Yeah, it, that's going to be a huge game. Uh, both teams return a lot. Um, you know, again, another team that Wilson has faced multiple times over the last few years through playoffs, you know, seeing them a couple extra times. Um, so, you know, Mannheim Township feels they're, they're primed to make a run. And, you know, really kind of looking at it, they, they probably are primed to be a huge challenge to, uh, you know, to Wilson's bid to, to kind of, you know, win another league title. Yeah, week nine, like I mentioned, Penn Manor in years past had really been a, a thorn in Wilson's side. They were never able to get over the hump and beat Wilson, but they were always the team that you looked at. Week nine, that was kind of for the league title. And sometimes that story was picked. Like, I think that one year they were they were actually picked by a few people to actually kind of unseat Wilson as as the Section 1 uh, leader. Um, you know, it didn't, didn't turn out that way. And, you know, in our eyes, we're, we're pleased that that didn't turn out. I don't know that they would feel the same way, right? but, um, you know, there, there's definitely, um, you know, moving past that township game in week eight, you said they play Penn Manor in week nine. Um, and I think they're at Penn Manor this year. No, it's, it's at oh, Wilson at this Wilson. year. Sorry. Yeah. So we'll be at Gersky in week nine to host Penn Manor. They only return six starters and Todd Mealy has, uh, stepped down as head coach to focus on his academic career. Um, they have a new coach from Mannheim Central. Long-time uh, assistant from Coach Manheim John Central. Brubaker right. will take them over. The comments were 6-5 and five last year, 4-3 and three in the league. Uh, they're only bringing back six starters. Wilson won 28-7 last season. Um, so look, they look for Penman to take a step back as you get into a new system, and they bring up some young players. They do have some, some strong um, skill players back in uh, Carter Kinzer and Jamal McCaskill. Those are the two big guys um, play, playing both ways and, you know, athletic threats uh, to, to score or pick one off and, and change the momentum. So we'll have to be careful of those guys. But, again, Week 9, Penn Manor at Gursky. And then we'll move on to the season finale, which is going to be in Week 10. Also at home, since we started two on the road at the beginning, we get two at home at the end. The last week we'll wrap up with Warwick, which they have struggled in, in the last five years or so. I think their record the last five years is only 16, 16 wins or so. Yeah, and there was, there was turmoil, you know, there last season. Um, you know, however, that being said, there's been some times where, you know, by week 10 a lot of times people have just kind of expected Wilson to kind of roll in uh, right. to Lidditz or into Gursky and kind of just roll over Warwick, and it hasn't always no, been the case, the especially last, when we travel to Right, Warwick. traveling there has been the big, big concern. In 2012 it happened. We needed, you know, second half heroics to win yeah. there. Last year, 2014, again, it was 19-2 to two was the final, yeah. but at halftime, I think it was 6-2 or 3-2. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Was, People yeah. were making jokes about it being a baseball game. Right. Uh, you know, Wilson was miss missing a few starters, but when yeah. when you, you're you the Bulldogs and the, you're playing the way you have been playing to go to Warwick and play and, like that, it was pr kind of unacceptable, and the coaching staff let the players know. They got out with a victory this year. You got the Warriors at home. They have 12 starters back, so they should be a bit improved. Right. Um, you know, but so we'll have to kind of wait and see. But wait. by week 10, we should have an idea of the way that's going to go. Again, there's probably a little bit more stability there this year than there has been for you know a number of years. So you look at a lot of those teams. You know, uh, Conestoga Valley kind of being uh, the exception in terms of the number of returning starters. But a lot of those teams that have struggled the last couple years in the LL. Uh, section one ha are returning more starters than I would anticipate that they typically are returning, which is which is a good sign for them, you know, in terms of uh, being able to compete. And you know, I think that's going to lead to some 
definitely some competitive and some tough games. When, when we talk about the top half there, I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of the Raiders. I think Hemfield and, and Mannheim Township are definitely going to be two yeah. huge games. Um, you know, and you talked about the weapons that Township returns. And, you know, there's a lot of football to get through until that point uh, for both teams. But um, that, that's shaping up to be a big LL Section 1 game already. Yeah, you can't sleep on some of these teams that have a ton of starters back in LL, Warwick, Cedarcrest, and McCaskey as well. And the, some of these teams really like to throw it around. Wilson's defense got to be ready. We heard Coach Wolver say the secondary is kind of ahead of the line. You're hoping by the end of the season the line has caught up. They're ready to go. Everyone's uh, rolling together. And you avoid injuries. That'll be a big thing. Got to stay healthy. Right, absolutely. All right, so that that's that's most of the show that we wanted to do in this pilot episode of the Bulldog Hour. We hope you've enjoyed uh, as we've taken you through um, the off season, got you a couple interviews with coaches and players, and then previewed the upcoming year. I think the last thing we want to mention is send out some uh, congratulations to one of the the uh, senior players in John Fox. football season you know so he could kind of focus on his high school you know the football season and and you know his grades and everything like that and the last thing we did a giveaway on facebook where if you uh you like the show page and you commented on on a picture post you entered to win a wilson football mini helmet we had over 30 eligible entries which was phenomenal we were very happy to everyone who participated we did the the random uh drawing and i uh, already contacted the winner um it was uh, uh bridget Starin. i believe that's how you say her last name i could be incorrect but congratulations to bridget she'll be getting a mini helmet from the bulldog hour um and the wilson football tradition club yeah congratulations all right so i pretty there's not much else left to say got a huge game coming up on friday september 4th at governor mifflin stadium in shillington seven o'clock the bulldogs kick off their 2015 season in Shillington against the Mustangs. Be there as early as possible. There will be tickets on sale in the high school audit, or excuse me, in the upper house lobby, I believe, three days this week. They're also showing selling the whiteout shirts in the lobby. You can check the Wilson Foot Wilson Bulldogs football Facebook page for all that information. And uh, anything less to say from you, Justin? Yeah, I, you know, I, I enjoyed doing the show, kind of getting some insight and being able to share uh, that information uh, with our viewers. And uh, hopefully it's something uh, we can continue to do throughout the season. And, um, you know, like like Joey mentioned, you know, get your tickets and get over um, early uh, to uh, Shillington on Friday and, uh, you know, be loud and supportive for the Bulldogs. And uh, hopefully we can uh, come out with a, with a positive experience there. <laughs> Definitely. So best of luck to the 2015 Bulldogs and the coaching staff. Have a wonderful and healthy season, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to uh, recap the non-league slate. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. We'll right. kind of see where we stand in a few weeks. All right, and until then, go Bulldogs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. 
or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.